All right, good morning, church. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And by the way, children up to the age of three can go to the back at this time. And uh, for us, we're going to be 1 Samuel 21, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 this morning. It says, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today where their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, or Edomite, the chief of Saul's herd, herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then you have not here, excuse me, then you not here a spear or a sword at hand? Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have bought neither sword nor uh, my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And that is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so... Chapter 20, if we back up one chapter, chapter 20 uh, ends with David departing from the presence of Jonathan. Um, David and Jonathan came up with a plan to talk to Saul and to find out Saul's disposition for, uh, towards uh, David. And Saul revealed his hatred for David on a scale that he never revealed it before. In fact, he was very upset, so upset that he attempted to kill his own son because he felt, he felt like uh, Jonathan had sided with, with David. And so he threw a spear at Jonathan just like he did to David in previous chapters. And uh, of course he missed, talked about how bad of an aim Saul was with that spear. But uh, for the fact that he threw that spear at his own son because of the hatred he had for David was pretty telling. So then Jonathan goes to David and meets them or meets him in a secret place. And they at that point know that it's time for David to run away because 
uh, because Saul is, is bent on killing him. So David and Jonathan, they have this meeting uh, right before they leave. They, they hug and, and they say their goodbyes and then David is off. So there it begins. David's approximately nine-year run for his life with Saul right behind him the whole way. Saul just not relenting and just trying to chase him down uh, to, to kill David so that David does not inherit the, inherit the throne. Now, this is a turning point first in the book of 1 Samuel. It's a turning point here for us, but also in the life of David. So far, David seems like the perfect man and also the, the, the perfect king. Uh, he's the man that was prophesied about that he would be a man after God's own heart. And so far, everything he's done, it's been, it's been great. It's been right on par. He's been uh, this, this wonderful man. He's the total opposite of what Saul was and as far as, as a person and as a king. Uh, he can do no wrong up to this point, but in chapter 21, his corruption becomes visible to everyone. Right? David becomes less of the hero, but God continues to be faithful to his chosen vessel. And that's what you and I can gather from. That's one of the things that we, we can benefit and gather from uh, David's character, even when it's flawed, that still the Lord is faithful to him. Uh, obviously, we are a lot like David. Uh, we are also a lot like Saul, you know, but yet the Lord is faithful to us and uh, his mercy and his grace is ever before us. So that's what we see, David becoming less of a hero, but God continuing to be faithful to him. But also God not wavering from, you know, his holiness and just letting David get away with things. We know that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And we are all, we've all been disciplined by the Lord if we are in the Lord. Uh, because we have all made mistakes and he disciplines us for our good. And we, we start to see some of that take place in David's life here. So today we'll see what fear does to a man. What fear does to us. Specifically, we'll see what fear does to David and also learn some vital lessons about fear and also about faith. So may he grant us the wisdom to understand, uh, the conviction to change our mind, and also the courage to respond in faith. Let me start by breaking down or, or pulling apart the passage so that we can understand some context here. David, basically what's happening here is we see David on the run from Saul. He's, this is a fearful run of David, and David sins while he's running away. It's almost like this, this trail of sin falling behind David as he runs away from Saul, and actually in Jonathan, Jonathan's presence as well. Uh, the first place David stops, when you look at your text, it's a place called Nob, and Nob is, uh, is, is really close to where Saul is, so we, only a few miles away, so we know that David's not going to stay there very long. It's just a, a stop while he's trying to figure out where he's going. And the thing about Nob is that this is where the tent of meeting was, and this is a place where the priests of God live. Uh, previously, that place was Shiloh, but if you remember all the way back in chapter 4, when the Israelites brought out the Ark of the Covenant to fight against the Philistines, they were defeated that day, and uh, Shiloh was destroyed, and that's where the priests lived before. Well, now, looking at our text, we see that the Ark of the Covenant has moved to uh, Nob, and uh, that's, where, that's where he is. I mean, excuse me, that's where the, the priests uh, of God reside. Now, the previous 
place, oh, like I said, was completely destroyed. Uh, Nob was only a few miles away from Saul. But we see that, that David was there for a specific reason and a specific purpose. Well, what was that purpose? Well, Scripture tells us that he was in search of food, and also he was in search of weapons, mainly a weapon for himself. Now, beyond that, we don't know. We can guess as far as what David might have been seeking. Um, he sought refuge in his, in his friend, his best friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan bore, you know, told him the bad news, and then he was, he was away from Saul's presence. Maybe he was seeking spiritual guidance as well. Maybe he wanted to hear a word from the Lord, uh, from the priest there. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but it's, it's a good probability of that's what he was seeking. But first and foremost, David was... Uh, he, was, he knew he was running away, he knew he would get hungry, so he knew he needed food, and he also knew he needed a weapon. Uh, David's visit to Ahimelech, the priest, was not without suspicion. In fact, the Bible tells us that when Ahimelech saw David, he, he was shaking, he was nervous. Uh, he saw David, and, and in reality, we'll find out later that David had paid many visits to Ahimelech in the past, but one thing is different this time is that David is alone, and Ahimelech sees that, and he's very cautious. He tells David, why are you alone and no one with you? Now, I don't know why it's asked that way, because it's basically the same question, just, just worded differently. But you can kind of see where Ahimelech is just cautious about David being alone, because usually when David would stop by, he had an army with him as they were going to destroy the Philistines or the Amalekites or whoever they were. And so right away, uh, Ahimelech was nervous in seeing David alone. But also, you have to understand that uh, Saul had talked to all of his servants before. I don't know if you remember a couple chapters back. He talked to all of his servants. He says, I want David dead. I, I want him killed. So Ahimelech, being the priest there, probably heard that there was this divide or this dissension between Saul and, and David. And uh, now he sees David all by himself, and maybe he's thinking, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble, and now he's here for my help. Now, what we have to understand, though, is that David, I don't know if David read his, his Ahimelech's nervousness or what he saw in him, but in order to get what he needed from Ahimelech, we see that David lied. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 2. After Ahimelech approaches him, and, and asked, you know, what is it that he wants? David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you. Right? So that's how he starts off. He says, basically, look, Ahimelech, I'm on a secret mission and I cannot tell you what it is. Right? I cannot tell you what it is. I have charge from the king and uh, I, I just need supplies. I need supplies and I need you to give me what I need so that I can be on my way. And we know that that is a bold-faced lie. Now, I want us to notice something. We have to notice a pattern of sin beginning to develop for David or in David's life. Uh, first of all, this is not the first time that we see him lying in Scripture. In fact, the previous chapter, when him and Jonathan got together and they devised this plan to test Saul's, uh, his, his attitude towards David, uh, they, they lied about what, where, where uh, David would be. Him and Jonathan came up with this idea and said, oh, we'll make up this lie that you'll go to your hometown and you'll go and worship with your brothers. And all the while, you're just going to be hanging out here and then we'll see how Saul feels about you. 
Well, that's when Saul flipped his lid and then he, you know, tried to kill his son and he was adamant that he's going to kill David. So right after that, we see David lying again. And it, 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 you do it once, okay, you do it twice, it's, it's even more condemning, but you do it three times, that's, that's, a, that's a pattern, right? And so what we're going to see is that this is the beginning of a pattern for David, not only with the sin of lying, but also other sins. Now, he's looking at Ahimelech, uh, he sees Ahimelech's suspicion, so maybe in his mind he convinces himself that this lie, uh, to, in order to get food and also to get a weapon, would be okay. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit because we're going to continue walking through First and Second Samuel. Once we get to Second Samuel, we'll see David as king, and he meets this beautiful woman that's not his wife, Bathsheba. Well, by the time he gets to Bathsheba, and if you're a Christian, you've been raised in church, you know the sin that, that he committed with Bathsheba. And uh, David, at, by that time, was a professional liar. He was a professional liar, or, or master manipulator, however you want to put it. He, he, he got really good at this sin. In fact, he mastered the sin, or maybe, and probably, the sin mastered him. Right, because that's what tends to happen with us. We we start, we give it a little bit, we give it an inch, and that sin takes a mile. And it starts somewhere. This didn't automatically happen. It starts somewhere. So this pattern that David is starting here is very important for us to really think about, especially in the light of our own sin, in light of our own sinful patterns that we have developed from the past. Patterns that we're still dealing with today, if we're honest with ourselves. It doesn't, it doesn't do us any good to continue in our pattern of sin. What does us good is for us to repent and respond to God in obedience. So David didn't become a liar overnight. See, he became a liar as, as he trusted more in himself and less in the Lord. That's, that's how we see him becoming a liar. In order to get what he wants, he feels like he has to lie. Or in order to get away with what he's done, he feels like he has to lie. And the less and less he trusts the Lord, the more and more he lies, the more and more he sins. Now, as for food, David asked for five loaves of bread. But the priests only had showbread that was available. Now, the showbread, it's called the bread of the presence. It's called the holy bread. Uh, several different names for it, but the showbread was considered holy bread and reserved only for the priests to eat. Now, uh, if you, you don't have to turn there, but I want to read this to you from Leviticus chapter 24, just to give you a, a frame of reference. Levit Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9. This is concerning the showbread. Uh, this is the... Uh, the, Lord, the word of the Lord given to the Israelites in what they should do with this showbread. It says, you shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall, shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, one on the table, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Now, every Sabbath day, Aaron, who was the priest, shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is 
from the, it is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons. And they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. So that's what the showbread was, and that's what was being offered to David. Now, being that he was afraid of David, we see Ahimelech offered the holy bread. David asked for food. He didn't ask for that specifically, but for some reason or another, we do not know. Ahimelech didn't have any food, but was left over of the showbread. So with the stipulation that David and his men were ceremonially clean, he gave the bread to David. Now, it's important for us to notice that both men's actions, or rather both men's sin, were being driven by fear. David was afraid of Saul. So he lied, and uh, he took the holy bread, knowing that that holy bread was reserved for the priests. Now, Ahimelech was afraid of David, and he offered the bread, and he let him take the holy bread. So after that, then David asked for a weapon. Because, like I said before, in his rush to leave Saul's presence, he didn't gather any. Ahimelech reveals that he has no weapons on hand except Goliath's sword. For it had been kept as a trophy to the Lord when David killed Goliath back in chapter 17. Now notice David's words as Ahimelech reveals the word, uh, the sword of Goliath. Look at verse 9 with me. Actually, I just want to read the last portion of verse 9 where he says, where he's handed the, the sword and David said, yes, there is none like that. He says, give it to me. Now, I don't know about you and maybe I'm being too hard on David here, but there seems to be just a shift in his disposition towards that sword and towards things that really don't matter. Uh, David seemed to trust that sword more than he trusted the Lord. He has no weapon on hand, and it seems like he's pretty gratified by receiving that weapon. He's like, oh, of all the weapons I could have, I can surely trust this weapon to defend me and to help me. That's the sense that I get as, I, as that portion of Scripture closes. Now, let's understand some truths here. Well, there's a lot that we can learn here in this passage now that you have the context. Uh, there are a lot of truths that we can focus on, but one I really want to focus on is what fear does to us and how we respond makes a big difference because fear will either make you or it will break you for lack of a better wording it will make you or it will break you David seems to be a different man here from chapter 17 he, he truly does in chapter 17 we see him stand up to Goliath everybody was afraid everybody was afraid of Goliath even King Saul Everybody trembled when Goliath came out to challenge them. And uh, when everybody was trembling, David was standing just strong, confident. He was standing in faith. He was offended that nobody stood up to Goliath. He was offended that Goliath would come out and defile the armies of Israel. And so he himself wasn't even really big enough to put on armor, put on the king's armor, couldn't walk around with it. This young man comes out and he says, you know what, you're not going to defy my God that way. And he stands up, he alone stands up to Goliath and defeats him. And after he 
or actually right before he was going to fight him, I want to remind you of his words back then. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 46 through 47. This is what David said. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. This is what he tells Goliath. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, listen to this very carefully, not by sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That's solid. That is solid right there. That will preach. That is an example for us to be like, man. That is faith in the Lord because all the odds were stacked against him at that time. But I love what he says. He says that the Lord does not save with sword or with spear, but by his spirit, right? By his might, not by horses or chariots, not by anything that we can conjure up ourselves. The Lord saves by his might. Now, the difference between David then And now is that then David was led by faith and now he's being led by fear. For some reason, I have no idea why, but for some reason, Saul was a greater enemy to David than Goliath was. For some reason, David was completely fearful of Saul and he was completely confident against Goliath. But Isn't that the way fear works sometimes? Fear sometimes is irrational. It makes a whole lot of sense to us because we're the ones who fear something, but everybody else is like, what are you afraid of? But when it's their turn to be fearful, they don't want to hear that, right? We're all afraid of what we're afraid of, and we may not have any good reason for it, but it's still the fact that we're afraid of it. See, there are many ways that our trust in the Lord can be tested. But I'm under the opinion that there is no better test of trust than going against someone or something that you fear. That's a great test of faith. How we respond in fear reveals the spiritual condition of our hearts. It truly does. See, because what we keep keep hidden most of the time comes pouring out in our response to fear. You ever notice, you, you may know the most quiet person, the most mannered person. And that brother or that sister, you're like, man, I've never seen them upset. I'll tell you what, get in a situation where they're fearful and you'll see, you'll see them upset. Like if you're around me and a roach crawls on me, you're going to see something that you may have never, you may even hear something that you wouldn't even think I could say. But fear has a way of bringing out what is in our heart. See, carnal responses to fear, rage. When someone is afraid, uncontrollable rage is common. Our extreme timidness, 
where they, this, this, this timidity that, that they can't do anything or cannot respond in any way when they are afraid. There is distrust, selfishness. Oh my goodness, whenever there, someone is, is fearful of something, you just see this, this, this gross selfishness that starts to take place because it's, it's a matter of my life over everybody else's life. It's a matter of my survival. It's a matter of what I, my, me being comfortable versus anybody and everybody else being comfortable. Uh, idolatry is very common as a response to fear. Jealousy, hatred, anxiety, greed. All of a sudden, everything becomes mine. Oh, it's mine because I'm going to need it. And, I, and there's no way I can share this. It's all mine because I don't know what's coming up in the future. So you have all these things that we respond to whenever we are fearful, or we respond in these ways to fearful situations. But the Bible says this in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. See, it is through the trials of fear and many other things, but surely fear that God searches our hearts. There's a purpose behind that. He wants us to know our sin. So he searches our hearts and makes our sin known to us. When we sin in response to fear, What's happening is that it is exposing a lack of trust in God. It's also exposing an overtrust in ourselves. Somehow we have lost our faith in God to care for us, to give us what we need, to be sovereign over us. And it's as if we're telling God, I am taking over now. I am going to do this myself. You can help, but it is, it, it's, it's my turn. In a sense, we could be telling him, I don't like the way you're handling the situation. I don't like what's going on in my life. So instead of doing what you have commanded me to do, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what feels right to me in this situation. As I look upon David, that's exactly what I see. I see a man who is fearful and who is, who is thinking he's going to take over. He's going to do things differently. It's a lack of trust and an abundance of trust. It's a lack of trust in the Lord and an abundance of trust in ourselves. But the one thing about fear is that fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Fear assures us that there are exceptions to God's commands. Fear convinces us that God approves of our choices because, well, you know what? In this situation, that is what's best for us. God's going to say, you know what? It's okay. See, fear tells us regardless of the consequences, sin is okay. Because right now it's a matter of survival. It's a matter of Comfort. It's okay to sin in this situation because you're fearful of whatever you're facing. 
It's as if we are telling ourselves, well, God will allow it because of the circumstance. But we really need to understand how silly that sounds. We know that the Bible says God is a holy God. He is perfect. He is perfectly holy. And that he does not let one sin go by. We know that. But sometimes, again, when we are in fear of something or someone, we, it's, it's, everything's irrational, it seems like. And we forget the fact that God is holy and he does not let one sin go by. And we're thinking, oh, well, God's going to excuse me for this because I'm fearful of this situation. And I can, I can respond the way I want and everything's going to be okay. So it's as if we think God is going to give us a pass on this one thing or this one sin. And let me give you some examples here because these are examples that I, I see very often, that we all see very often. And, and these are things that we are fearful of. Because right now in your mind, you may be thinking, well, you know what, I, I, no one's trying to kill me today, so I'm, I'm good. But the thing is, is that we live in fear every single day of our lives. I don't care how tough of a person you are, you are fearful, not only of one things, but of many things. Even if you don't tell anybody, and even if you portray yourself to be this tough person, that's pretty much a response of fear. Trying to give off this persona that you got everything covered. Why? Because you fear of what people think about you. Now, there's, there's a lot of things that end up in that category of fear. Now, think about these things for a minute. We're thinking God's going to give us a pass. Let me give you an example that I see happening in many families. Uh, uh, parents are fearful of raising their children in the Lord. Why? Because, well, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard to deal with. It's not easy dealing with, with kids, especially teenagers. And we know about that. They're, they're going to be fighting. They're, my house is going to be in turmoil. Everything is just not going to go well. If we don't say anything, there's no argument. There's no, no contest from them. There's nothing. Everything is good. That, that, is, that is fear in raising your children in the Lord. And we think, well, if, if I just don't do anything, everything's going to pass by. God's going to eventually forgive this or he's going to let it slide because he knows how difficult it is. This is something that even I as a parent struggle with, trying to figure out what I need to challenge and what I don't. This is not an easy thing. And this is not something that is only present with with, with parents who have young children, this is also an issue when your kids get out of the house and they think they can live any way they want and you ain't got no say in it. It's very fearful to have to tell another adult, son, daughter, you're sinning against the Lord. Why? Because you're afraid of them not talking to you for years or them shunning you or them doing whatever. You're fearful of that. And so you just let them live the way they want to live. And we think, well, oh, God's going to give me a pass on that because that's a very difficult situation. Is he going to give us a pass on that? Or how about not being the helpmate to your spouse that you ought to be? Many of us are fearful of that because of the commitment it's going to take. Well, if I start doing this, then man, she's going to expect a lot out of me. Or if I start doing this for him, then he's going to want it every single day. 
And we're fearful of that. We're fearful of being taken advantage of. And so therefore, we don't give it our all as God says, as God commands. We stand by and we just let things happen. We see our husband, we see our wife. We see them in sin and we don't correct it. Why? Because it's just going to start a fight. I'd just rather live in peace. It's easier this way. Will the Lord just let that pass? I don't think so. How about not meeting with the church? Come on now. Last couple of years, right? Now people, COVID is, people still talk about COVID. But now we have vaccinations. Now we have all kind of stuff. And there are people who are still fearful of meeting with other people. So much so that they just don't go to church anymore. It's just like, you know what, I'd rather just not even go. I'm so fearful of it, I'd rather not go. I've had both vaccinations. I've had two, three, four vaccinations. I, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. But yet, just in case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away. Obviously, I'm not speaking about somebody who has pre-existing conditions and they have to protect themselves. I'm talking about someone who is completely okay to be here. But it's become a habit of not meeting with the church. It's so e much easier just to meet and see us online or just do whatever you want or maybe just not even come to church. But the word says that we should meet together as his people. That we should not neglect that. But even more so, how about fearing, or how about fearing uh, serving the church? That's a, that's a big one. You know, there's a trend that's happening now within church life. Not only do people not want to serve in the local church, not, not only do people not want to serve the local church, those are two separate things that I'm, I'm talking about. Serve in the local church to serve the people of the church, right? Separate things, but they're, they're, they're common. They're, they're similar. But what people are doing in order to avoid all that, people are just not becoming members of a church. They can bounce around. They can go to anywhere they want. They can hide. There's no responsibility. That's what they want. Why? Well, I don't have time. I'm very busy. As if God's going to forgive that. Right? Just let that pass. Obviously, in Christ, he's going to forgive that. But as, as if God's going to let that pass without disciplining you. I don't have time. I don't have the patience. I don't have the gifting. I, I, whatever it is. We're fearful of the commitment it's going to take. Oh, I've done my time already. I've served for 20, 30 years, I'm done now. Whatever, whatever the excuse. Being driven by fear. We have a lot of things that we fear. We're just not honest with ourselves. And we need to be honest with ourselves. That's why I say fear is a liar. And we must realize that it is a liar. 
God does not let things just pass by. He does not let sin go by just because we are in fear. One of the bigger things that happens is the idol worship that takes place whenever we are responding to fear and we're sinning in that. I remember as a child, man, I was, as far as idol worship, I was covered. I, 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 I had, a, I had an, an idol, uh, a picture of an idol in my wallet that would take, I forget what saint it was, but that saint was supposed to take care of me as I, as I went about, make sure that I, I wouldn't get hurt. I had several different other idols in other pockets. I made sure that I had to carry that. Lucky rabbit's foot. Man, all kind of different stuff. All kind of stuff. Make sure I was covered. As if God was not watching over every millisecond of my life. As if God was not sovereign over me and had my days prepared before me. We start turning to idols. It's like David, start turning towards this sword. Oh, yes, there is nothing like this sword. Yeah, there is, David, the God that you serve. He's greater than that sword. See, I don't say all this to make you feel helpless because I know it can make you feel this way. And I don't want to add a burden upon you. But we, as God's people, we must realize that we, that when we sin against God in response to fear, we must know it is not okay. You may think that was the best course of action you could have taken, but we have to acknowledge that sin is sin. And it's very helpful for us to acknowledge that because it is a reminder for us that we need Christ. We need Christ. Listen, you're not going to be able to leave this place and then just stop fearing everything. It should be a daily reminder that you need Christ. Number one, for forgiveness of your sins, there are many, but also you need Christ for the growth of your faith. To overcome this fear that you have. To live in freedom of it. Everyone is subjected to the temptations of fear. In fear of Saul, David responding and sinning against God. But he, he's not the only one. I can go down the Bible. In fear for his life from Pharaoh, Abraham lied. And he said, well, yeah, my wife is my sister. In fear of the Israelites and Pharaoh, Moses he says, I, I, I'm not a man who can speak. I, I need somebody who, needs to, who, who can speak in my behalf. So God gave him Aaron so that Aaron could speak to the people. In the fear of, uh, of the Jewish and Roman officials, the disciples, they all abandoned Jesus. And they said, no, we would never, we would never abandon you. They all left. In the fear of the crowd, in fear of the crowd, Peter, he denied Christ. Now let me turn it on you. You may not have somebody chasing you, trying to kill you, but let me ask you, what or who are you running from? Who are you or what are you fearful of? What excuses have you been making for your sin? See, what is, what is it that you fear and how has the fear led you to sin against the living God? What excuses have you been making instead of facing the fact that you're responding in fear and not faith? 
Now, as far as leaving with an application, God has given us very wonderful and precious gifts. And it's, it's hard to come to the acknowledgement that we fear things and that we're not doing what we need to do as Christians because of that fear. That's, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Believe me, I, as I wrote this sermon, I contemplated the things that I fear. Things that I have to repent from. It's very humbling. See, there are a lot of things that we can fear. What we end up fearing the most is doing what is right versus doing what is easy. That's, that's, that's the thing that drives our fear the most. Sometimes obedience causes dissension, strife, emotional, physical pain. It can go on and on and on. We can fear being the light, a light in a dark place. That means evangelizing, living the life that God has called us to live. We can fear the trouble of raising our kids in the fear of the Lord. We can fear the sacrifice it will take to serve the Lord or the process of something that is painful or out of control, like fearing going through a, a, a prolonged sickness or anything else like that. In fearful situations, we must remember that we have the help of the Lord. We must never forget that, that we have the help of the Lord. But also, we must remember that we have a responsibility to respond to God in faith and obedience. The Apostle Paul says this in the New Testament, 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I love that passage. God has given us the spirit of power. That means God has gifted you with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gives you everything that you need for life and godliness. God also strengthens you with, uh, he strengthens you through all of life's circumstances. Nothing that you go through is wasted. Everything that happens to you has a purpose. God is using that for his glory and your growth. Though outwardly you are wasting away, inwardly you are being renewed day by day. Christian. Exercise the power you have from God. Secondly, God has given you the spirit of love, not fear. God has lavished you with his love. You are his, you are his forever. Amen. You can never be taken out of his hand. You can never be conquered by the devil. You belong to the Lord. So he has lavished you with his love and given you an abundance to share with others. The love that God has given you. It's not only for you, but he has given you the ability to love others. To love them, not selfishly, but to love in a way that only Christians can love. He has given you that as a gift. You love because he first loved you. He has displayed his perfect love on the cross that you may take up your cross and follow him daily. Also, he has given you the spirit of self-control. God is faithful. Why? Because he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In fear, we are tempted to sin against God. But we must always remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that God provides a way of escape for us. Sometimes that way of escape is very, very narrow. 
but it is there. That passage makes me laugh every time I read it because it reminds me of years and years ago. We have this little Morgan building back here. And one day I was in there cleaning that Morgan building out. And uh, as I was in there cleaning it out, somehow I locked myself in the Morgan building. Couldn't get out. I went to go, I think the wind blew it closed, and then I went to go try to open it. And uh, that's back then when we used to lock it by the doorknob. Now it has a padlock. That's the reason why it has a padlock, because it locked me in one time. And as I was locked in, I was figuring out, like, how am I going to get out of here? I was the only one here. So in the very back of the Morgan building, there's this teeny tiny window. Yeah. Teeny tiny window. And I'm like, oh, that's my only way. That's my only way out. And back then, somebody had broken the, the glass on that, so it was boarded up. So I got back there, and I, I, I kicked, and I hit, and finally the boards just flew off. That was the first challenge. Second challenge was me fitting through that window. I mean, I couldn't even get my shoulders through that window for one thing. I had to kind of like do this and do that and then kind of squeeze my way out. I always remember that passage when I think about that incident. Because sometimes I know that the Lord provides a way out for us under any temptation that we face. Sometimes we can barely see it because we're not paying attention to it. We're so focused on what's in front of us, what we're fearing. But the Lord has promised us that he has given us what we need to be able to deny that sin. He is faithful. See, God has equipped us with these wonderful and precious gifts. But we, as his people, we must fan them into flame. I love that analogy. The other day, I was making barbecue for people who are coming over and the, the most important thing and, and people who barbecue will I, I think you will agree with me but the most important thing about barbecuing is making sure that you whatever you're using to cook with the, the charcoal the wood that it is ready to cook with that it's nice and hot because if it's it's not nice and hot then you're gonna have you're gonna struggle as you're trying to you're trying to make the barbecue you're going to make. Well, I was in the rush, and I didn't let the coals and the wood, I didn't let them get as hot as they could. I thought it was okay, so I spread them, and then I'm trying to make the meat that I have on the barbecue pit, and it's taking forever, and I have a time limit. They're going to be here at a certain time. I'm over here blowing on it. Smoke's getting in my face. I'm tired of doing that. So what do I do? I go and get my leaf blower. Sit there. Put it on the low so that it doesn't blow everything around, but it, it, it kindles the wood and the charcoal. Gets it nice and hot. I'm able to, I'm able to, to finish. It, it just reminds me of what we have to do with the gifts that we have. See, God has given us what we need. But yet, we're not puppets where it's just like, oh, God's going to control me. He's going to take care of me. No, there's a responsibility that we have. Paul telling Timothy, fan into flame these gifts. They're wonderful and precious gifts. Fan them into flame. Remember, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. So we are responsible for how we respond in fearful situations. The grace of God is available to us when we sin. 
Let's not be fools. We will sin. The grace of God is available to us. But how many of us would rather please the Lord through faith instead of shrinking back in fear? With obedience instead of sin. God is pleased with us when we respond with faith and when we, with obedience. This passage from 1 Peter, and then I'll end after this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Tough times require brave Christians. People who walk by faith and not by sight. God commands us to be brave as we face things that we fear. Things or people that we fear. In the process, we are to echo the words of Christ. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I say that. To say that we are not to trust in our own abilities. That's not where our braveness comes from. But to trust completely and wholly in him to supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. We must never forget, especially when we are facing something that we fear, that the Lord shall never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, you and I, we can be strong and courageous. Let us pray.